audio files. So in Sinead Lacoe, it's volume two, it begins on 491, where he attempts to convey some of the mystical dimensions of the 10 words, five of which address themselves to our maker and five to the well-being of our fellow man. We are already aware that the entire Torah consists of permutations of the name of God permutations which extend endlessly in all directions of the universe. <clears throat> in other words, the very fabric of the universe of creation is basically encoded in all these permutations of the OTO. Kind of like in the matrix when you're looking at the screen and you see all the letters just coming down like that and they just simply know how to read it. And within the code is all the permutations possible, the combinations, the arrangements. Um, I kind of liken it to one time I went to a, a planetarium show where I used to live in California at the junior college in Santa Rosa. And they had a telescope uh, fixed on a globular cluster in the constellation Hercules. And this globular cluster contained 50,000 stars all coalesced in a gravitational embrace, but yet the orbits of each star around each other in a gravitational embrace is endless permutations. And I tend to, that's the kind of visualization I tend to use with this, what uh, Horowitz is describing here. Okay. With that respect, but in astronomy, it's not just restricted to the stars, but also galactic clusters, where you have whole clusters of galaxies revolving around one another, even to the point of collisions with one another, um, which is pretty incredible. I mean, you know, they think the universe is, is infinite, but in reality, it's finite. The infinite within the finite. Yeah, because the blessed Ain Sof brought it all into existence. You know, like in the morning prayer, Baruch Shayamar, blessed is he who spoke, blessed is he who maintains creation. We would not be here if he did not maintain creation with the divine light of Ain Sof. Right. So that's a, for me, that's a real powerful reminder of our purpose. And why we're here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, they talk about that being the Taklit uh, when Mashiach is here, like when he arrives, as far as he's going to be the master of teaching us how to express the infinite in the finite. So, I mean, we're already seeing it with the Torah commentary. So it's just another step to translate that into actual reality which to me that kind of really uh teaches the the practicality behind the word being made flesh you know like instead of it just being the torah the scroll and the parchments and the tablets it's like now put that in 
in our context of reality, like humans walking around, <laughs> like walking letters, like which we are, you know? So it's just kind of like expressing that. So that's what a talkie Haskell says, you know, a living, breathing, walking Torah school. Yeah. Well, I really like uh, Trugman's um, commentary on Fruits of the Orchard about mm -hmm. the song of creation. Oh, yeah. That is extremely significant and is very mystical in nature. But yet he brings it down to earth so that the, the average person has something to grab a hold of and realizes that we're all part of the song. We all contribute a note, a bar, a chord, a phrase, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, part of a symphony. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, too, when you think of Mashiach being the, the culmination of all the souls, that if we're all walking letters and, and points of the vowels and the, the crowns and the tagine and all those things, like, it would be natural that he would be a Torah scroll because all the letters are found in him, you know? So like he's us bound up basically. Yeah. I've written down my essence and I have given it to you. Mm -hmm. um, but then <laughs> David Hobmelik, may he be blessed the Psalms. Amen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got 150 of them, you know, all of them with some pretty deep mystical attributes that, quite frankly, some of it is just uh, beyond us at times. Right. And, and the way David expresses himself in ways that you really don't see people doing it today. Like, um, but there is an awakening, though, you know, to be fair, you know, um, that he understood the, the vibrations, the spiritual energy that could be in, that we could be imbued with and establish that connection. Um, I mean, going back to, you know, their words of life, they're not just written down on stone, but there's so much more. Which is partly the reason why I remember this particular excerpt from Schnabel Code is because he imbues us with this energy. But if you say the Torah is done away with, then you're disconnecting yourself from the very life force of the universe and of all creation, which we are his creation. So how can you deny that he is everywhere in everything? And everything is an emanation or his divine will of Keter. Right. Yeah. So is it the part that's the uh, part Um I don't know. Or what, what did he source to get into that? Just because, I mean, that's such a deep concept. Uh, the author of Ginat Egoz comments that the ineffable name 
spelled in letters amounts to 26, and that this number equals the numerical value of the 10 words. And in brackets, he says, no explanation is offered as to how that number is arrived at. The author adds that there are 620 letters in the 10 words corresponding to the numerical value of the word Keter. In order to understand this calculation, you must realize that the 10 words are the mystical dimension of the ineffable name in the way it is written and in the way it is read. This is what God meant when he told Moshe, Zeshami, Veze, Zikri, Ve, Adonai Elohim, Vahekal, Kadsho. This is my name, and this is the way I wish it to be mentioned. It's interesting, you know, Kadsho, you know, to keep it holy, to have the proper reverence for the name. As you see so many people who think they know the pronunciation of the name, but yet they don't realize the, the mystical significance or the spiritual energy, whether it's positive or negative, that is brought down from the upper worlds down into our world of action. You know, this is this is why the sages guarded it so profusely because. It can't be misused. Right. And you know, the, the point, too, to bring in with that is it's mentioned in a certain place. You don't just mention this name anywhere. Because that's, you know, it's like one, one level of it is pronouncing, but the other level is where are you pronouncing it? You know, and we have the the whole understanding of we don't bring the Torah or any uh, book of Jewish literature into the restroom or any kind of area of that sort. So it's the same thing with Hashem's name. We wouldn't bring it outside the, the precincts of the temple, which would be outside Jerusalem or outside of Israel, you know, those things. So... But if we can just break that little section down, uh, that would be really good as opposed to, because I mean, we've read the whole chunk already, but this right here is just so deep. <laughs> so the fact that the Yod and Hay and the Bob and Hay amounts to 26, and this number equals the numerical value of the 10 commandments. But I think Ginsburg in his book, 913. Um, I think he gives okay. the numerical value of the 10 words. Spell it in letters. So spell out each of the letters. Spell out Yod. Spell out the Hey. Spell out the Vav. Spell out the Hey. And that will equal the 620. I've never even, <laughs> like, wow. 
So Ginat Egoz is a source? <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. Whether you can find it or not is another. Yeah, I've been looking for Mashmiel Yeshua, by the way, which apparently is a codex of Jewish thoughts on the Mashiach. So whenever Mashmiel. I get my hands on that, that's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> What I just ordered from Amazon, the first two volumes of um, New Testament commentary. Okay. Stiller and uh, Red. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that looks like it's going to yield a lot. <laughs> uh, volume one's going to show up tomorrow. So. Okay, so the yeah, I'm still trying to figure this out. How how do you get the total of the ten words from the spelling out of the letters of Hashem's name? The other question that comes into play here is how is the hey spelled out? Is it spelled with a with a Bob or a left? Yeah. I feel like it's probably Bob. Because, I mean, it looks like you need to get the maximum value. Because I've got the, I got I 63. Uh, 63. 15. So, it's... Well, see, there's a couple ways you can do it. It could be Bob, Aleph, Bob for the Vav, but with the Hey, it could be Hey, Aleph, which has a gematria of six. Update Ginat Egoz is by Rabbi Yosef Gikatilia, which I'd like to say Gatilia or Gatilla. Like his band, <laughs> but um, he at the age of 26 composed this big work, of course. 26 lived in Spain, a student of Rabbi Abraham Abraham Abalafia Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra, okay. Oh, no, no, no. I, a student of uh, Abalafia, correct. Rabbi Abalafia. And then he says that in his work, he quotes Rabbi Abraham Ibn Ezra and a whole host of others. <laughs> wow. Okay, student of Rabbi Abalafia. And it's not in English. <laughs> Probably for a good reason. Yep. Hebrew acts as a gatekeeper. <laughs> yes. I'm initiated out <laughs> because um, one thing I do know from 913, um, the secret wisdom of Genesis is that um, there are the same number of words in Exodus 20, verse 1, 
as there are in Genesis 1 1. Seven words, mm -hmm. 28 letters. They parallel each other. I think he mentions I think he mentions it in the first chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Genesis and the Ten Words, another most central verse in the Torah that possesses the same basic structure of seven words and 28 letters precedes the Ten Words. God spoke all these things, saying, Ve'idber uh, Elohim et ko ha-devarim ha-ilei le'mor. There are many phenomena, both quantitative and qualitative, that connect these two verses, and their identical structure is like a marker guiding us to look at them together. Of course, the general point we're making is that whenever two verses have the same structure, we are led to look at their relationship. Let us see some of these phenomena. The first thing to note is that the two verses share a common prime factor, 37 which happens to be the normative gematria for Hokma. Mm -hmm. the, uh, not the normative, but the um, ordinal. Okay, so then when Yitzhak was offered up, tradi our tradition says that he was 37, mm -hmm. which basically now we're talking about Hokma on a, on a very mystical level, basically he who represents Hokmah was bound up and offered up for us. And like, because when, when you read about the Akeda, it talks about the fact that this is the uh, the model of how we should live our lives in devotion to Hashem. And Hokmah is considered to be one of our highest intellectual powers. I mean, besides Keter. So if you think about like, take your intellect Take your highest self, bind that up on the altar to Hashem. Anyway, that's what I was just thinking as you're reading that now. <laughs> well, yeah, just like just to tag on that point in Vaikra, you see the phrase when you bring your offering, you're bringing yourself. You're not just in Kasidu, they, they say that you're the animal that you bring is the animal soul that you are offering up to the Kohen. Meaning that you're bringing it into subjection. You know, like Shaul says, mm -hmm. uh, I think in uh, Corinthians, the bringing of every thought, every deed. Captive. Captive. Yep. Or anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of the Holy One, blessed be He. Okay, just as a note, uh, I just saw in brackets, it says no explanation is offered as to how the number is arrived at. So to get the divine name of Hashem of 26, 
to equal the number of the 10 words. We don't know which system and how that was used. Yeah. So in this next paragraph, in 9.13, the gematria of the first verse of the Torah is 2,701, which is equal to 37 times 73. That is the triangle of 73. The yeah, triangle of a number, it, the triangle of a number is adding the integers between one and that number. And you arrive at the gematria for the first verse. Yeah, and then what's half of 37? Uh 73 and 37 are actually midpoint numbers. 73 oh, is okay, so 73 is the normative gematria of Hokma. Inverting this number is its ordinal value. Yeah, I like the inversion, just switching the, the numbers around. Yeah. And you have seven plus three is ten. Mm -hmm. The other level of gematria is Mispartatan reduced, which happens to be 19. Right. That was that would be the midpoint of 37. Seven, yeah, exactly. Which is Hava. Yep. So okay. the gematria of the verse preceding the 10 words is 1,332, which is 37 times 36. The double triangle or diamond. And the footnote off the side, the diamond of N is a figurative number designed by the symbol N and defined as two times the sum of integers from one to N. Using the mathematical notation, we write the midpoint or the number n, which is equal to the trying two times the triangle of n. So what we have is the first few diamond numbers are thus 2, 6, 12, 20, 30, 42. So, yeah. But now note that the difference between their values is not just, just a multiple of 37. It is 37 squared. 37 squared equals uh, 1,369, a number that in itself makes a meaningful makes meaningful appearances in both relation to the 10 words and in relation to the beginning of Genesis. Regarding the first, 1369 is the number of letters in the Torah section, Parashiyah, uh, that precedes the verse before the 10 words. The section describes the preparation for the receiving of the Torah. Regarding the second, 1369 is the value of the second half of the Torah's second verse and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Ve'ruach Elohim me'rakafet al p'nei amayim. What's interesting about the word me'rakafet, it's also equal in gematria to a modern Hebrew phrase, kor shakor, which is black hole in modern Hebrew. 
Okay, so the black hole, the spirit of Hashem was hovering over that. So returning to 37, it's a prime factor of the last word of our verse from Genesis, the earth, Haaretz, 296 equals 8 times 37. A prime factor of the first word of our verse in Exodus, they deber spoke. 222 equals 6 times 37. And the footnote, in the verse, God spoke all these things saying, the root that also means thing, the var, appears twice in the word spoke. They, the bear, and things, hadeverim. The gematria of these two words together is 483 equals 21 times 23. 23 is considered the companion number of 37 in Kabbalah. 23 and 37 are considered idiomatic or companion numbers in Kabbalah, meaning that they tend to appear together when we explore the Torah's quantitative aspect. And so what he does in these subsequent paragraphs, he starts breaking down the matria of the individual words in the first verse. Um, switching the order, the first word of our verse from Genesis in the beginning, Rashid, added to the last word of our verse from Exodus, saying, Lemor, gives 1184, also a multiple of 37. 1184 equals 32 times 37. And those two numbers are significant. 32 is the gematria for Lev. 37, the ordinal gematria for Hoffman. And 32 is the inverse of 23, which pairs with 37. <laughs> yep. Adding all four words, first and last, from both verses, gives us 518 plus 1184 equals 1702, a permutation of the digits of 2701, which is equal to 2 times 23 equals 37. Wasn't there a spot where uh, Ava was called Chaya? She is referred to the mother of all living. Um, I think that's in uh, Genesis 4. Right. But remember, there was a difference between Hava and Chaya, like changing out the Vav for Yud. Um, Did you ever hear about that? Yeah. Um, she got the name Hava after the expulsion. Okay, so it would be previous. Um, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because that's the 23 and, and uh, 19. Yeah. Because Haba is 19, Haya is 23. So it says, uh, this is from 
uh, Sarah Esther Crisp from uh, Biblical Women. And it says, the question still remains as to why Hava wasn't called Haya. What's the difference between these two names when looking at their Hebrew spelling? The difference is in uh, the difference in each name is one letter. The name Hava has a Bav, which is numerically equal to six, and Haya has the letter Yud, which is numerical or numerically equivalent to ten. The difference between these two is four. The letter Dalit of Rav Ginsburg drop. Are you serious? <laughs> Rob Ginsburg teaches, may he be restored to full health and strength, even as a youth right now, teaches that if we add the letter Dalit to the name Hava, we get the word Chedba, meaning joy. This teaches that we transform Hava into Chaya into life when she can birth with joy. Okay, not merely physical birth, concept of being a mother's creative, birthing new realities. Okay, so that's what I was thinking while you're reading this because we have the birth of creation, which is like the Tishrei of it all. And then we get to the 10 words and this is the Nissan because it's like from Nissan to ER, right? Yeah, ni or Nissan to Savan, Nissan, ER, Savan. And you have a what you could uh, interpret as Ness because you have the noon for Nissan, the Samic for Savan. So you have the Ness, the banner, the elevation there, the miracle. And then this is the, the new reality that Hashem set for creation. Because before the giving of the Torah, there was a, a hard boundary between Shemaim and Aretz, like the, the spiritual and the physical. Now those two can be intertwined. So the fact that you're reading right now, Bereshit 1 with Shemot 20 and looking at all these relationships, that's really underneath all of it mm -hmm. okay sorry continue it, no that's a very important connection to make um i always think of um call that one nine what was will be again yep and there's nothing new under the sun that's right uh, the writer of Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So that would be a question to ask those who hold to um, replacement theology. Right. Okay, so you were reading the 913 to connect with Shanae Lucote. Yeah. So we're but this, but this is the code is specific to the four letter name. Okay. And so you're getting the nine thirteen to connect because the uh the passage in Shemote opens up the same way as Bear Sheet, basically. 
Yeah. And the other connection I'm, I want to make is that they are words of life. The fact that he spoke everything into existence, he's a God of life. He's not a God of death. You know, and the fact that the first time we see the four-letter name coupled with one of his other names is in Genesis 2, in the very beginning, just after creation, when on Shabbat, when he puts Adam and Hava into the garden and says, take care of it. In much the same way we take care of Torah, one of the ways we take care of it is that our interpretations that we properly represent the commentaries, for example, and, mm -hmm. and not to uh, distort them, but to present them properly. Um, that's something that was impressed upon me by the Holy One, Blessed Be He, is that because of the wisdom that has been given to these men, you know, to the Jewish people, and because they have preserved it for 3,500 years, this is paramount in my thinking, is that I, I strive to minimize my own personal bias. Um, because I was reading in Horeb, and I actually shared a, a, an excerpt from it, that knowledge fosters belief. Nice. You cannot yeah. have belief without knowledge of the Holy One. Blessed be He. What is the Torah? It is knowledge of the Holy One. Yeah. This knowledge fosters our belief, meaning that the Torah tells us how to believe. Right. So if you come up with a belief system that's not based off of the Torah's knowledge, it's already a breakdown. Yes. And in most cases, it can be considered heresy. <laughs> and, and, and I'm just being blunt very, because... It's I'm very conservative on that. I would say it's probably going to be heretical. <laughs> no, because look at all the people... Well, I'm biased, that, not conservative on it. Oh, we don't need the Torah anymore, you know? Jesus did away with it, you know? Right. Yeah. Anyway, you just you don't want to get yourself in that road of yeah. <laughs> coming up with belief systems that aren't based off of knowledge. Yeah. That's um, probably a nice way to say it. Yeah. The 13 principles of Maimonides on Ma'amin. Good deal. Yeah. Okay. So with that being said, um there's a connection to Hashem introducing himself, not as the creator, but as the one who brought us out of Mitzrayim, which is a bigger introduction than just saying, well, I'm the creator of the universe. And that goes with the Or HaKaim and the Ramban that uh, we both discussed back and forth. So those yeah. audio files, by the way, I did post with the rumination. So that's already up. And then we'll have the discussion to just kind of go along to bring it all together. Um, so wherever you want to go from here, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so continuing with Snail Code. Um, the additional quote may demonstrate that in his own abode, God is referred to by a different name than when in communication with man, 
This refers to the written spelling of God's name. The name Adonai is God's name as it is pronounced when we read it. There is a halakha in Sephardic circles that when you are reading and praying in Hebrew, it is Adonai. When you read in English, it's Hashem. Wow. Nice. Eskenaz have a different custom. They stick with Hashem. Okay. I, I'm used to the Sephardic for, for this reason. Because yeah, me too. Yeah. say Adonai, we're acknowledging his lordship in our life. Right. And you're making the sukkah because yes. uh, in the Sephardic Sidur, you see the the four-letter name in in uh inside of our what is it the other way around? One of the names is inside of it in the uh Sephardic Sidur. Like when you see the divine name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I believe it's it's the four letters of Hashem, the Yod and the He and the Bab and the He. Inside of that, you see the Aleph, Dalit, Nun, Yud. I believe that's the way it is. Okay, in the final He of the four-letter name, you have the word Adonai. This tells you to pronounce it Adonai. Yes, okay. Yeah, because when you do that, it makes a sukkah. Because yeah, Sukkot is 91, and that's the numerical value of both of those names. the A is three sides. There's three sides to a Sukkot. Because, yeah, there. In three days, I will descend on the mount. Yep. In three days, the master will be in the earth. And they wanted to make three Sukkot for the transfiguration. Yahu, Moshe, and you. <laughs> and then the centurion who comes to him and, and says, Yep. I'm not worthy that you should come under my sakach. Right. Right. <laughs> He's like, I'm not Sephardi. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful, that's so beautiful. I know. I, it's, man. But yeah. Communication versus the, the way Hashem is in his holy abode. You know, uh, what was it? Um, one of the benedictions of the Amidad, and may you um, cover us with the shelter in the shelter of your sukkah in Shalom. Mm -hmm. um, so, between the two spellings, we have the mystery of the relationship between God and Knesset Israel, the spiritual equivalent of the people of Israel. The soul of Israel, which is called Adam, corresponds to the emanation Malkut, which represents the name Adonai. So the second Adam is Knesset Yisrael. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. What does Shaul say in Romans 10, I believe? I wish that all Israel... I would die if Israel would be saved. Which all Israel is called Adam. And th here's the other paradox about that. Yeah. How can Isaiah say that all Israel will be righteous? And how can Shaul say that all Israel will be saved? Right. But, you know, Shaul also reminds us in Romans 11 that 
even though blindness in part has happened to Israel, that you, the Gentiles who have been grafted in, should not boast against the root because it's the root that supports you. That's right. What's your support system? Yep. And you even know who God is. Because the sages tell us that when the final revelation of Hashem happens, you know, like we say in the Elenu on that day, Hashem will be one and his name will be one. Mm -hmm. All of the nations will say we have inherited lies. You know, so if it wasn't for Hashem's people, like we wouldn't even know any kind of standard, <laughs> you know, like. Man. Yeah, that's another very important point is what standard do we have to measure our actions against? Because we have so many people who are trying to boister their own personal moral standard upon everyone else. Um, to cite, to, to cite a real-life example, we have... Um, the World Economic Forum that's trying to say, look, we know better than you. Yeah. And so now we're trying to impose all these standards. But that, unfortunately, is relativistic and subjective. Okay, so when you talk about this blindness, right? Uh-huh. Um, the partial blindness. So the Greek word there is paralysis, like paralysis almost. Well, this actually goes all the way back to when Hashem was already talking to Yeshayahu, to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he says, make dull the heart of this people and make their ears heavy and their eyes shut, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and with their heart understand and return and be healed. This right here is the meaning of the partial blindness. It's not that they can't see and they don't know. It's just Hashem is, is creating a space basically for repentance. And so it's the same thing that he did before, you know, when he sent Isaiah to Israel to say, hey, the temple is going to be destroyed. You know, these kinds of things, exiles and all that kind of stuff. And it's just kind of like if people really heard him and listened to him they would have repented therefore the temple would have never been destroyed so wow i'm gonna look up commentary while you continue sorry yeah the other thing about that is how can we provoke israel or the jewish people not just to jealousy but also to zeal, because the word kanan means both. And in a sense, uh, I think on the mystical level, that we're creating vessels of tikkun on our part. Right. That would help them to see that we're showing uh, Mashiach as kosher, even though the sages have said, you know, where is he? You know, he's in chains in Rome. He's among the lepers. Yeah. But uh, to a certain extent, you know, how did the brothers find out Yosef was kosher? Right? They didn't even know who he was until 
Judah to Teshuvah. Right. And that's when Yosef revealed himself. Yeah, one of the revelations, though, to go with what you're saying as far as us showing him kosher is through us serving Hashem. You know, like being there for our brothers and, you know, not trying to subvert anything because that's the unfortunate thing that's happened with trying to make Yeshua kosher is that there's this compromise of let me missionize or let me do something, you know, misappropriated, basically. So, but anyway, keep going. So, continue with Shnei Lukot. So, the secret of the union with the emanation Tiferet, the emanation which produces the souls, Neshamos. We know that Malkut is the source of Israel from the verse, Bame uh, Kahalot Barku Elohim. Adonai Memakor Yisrael in assemblies, bless God the Lord, you who are the fountain of Israel, Psalm 68:27. In view of the above, it is justified that the first five of the ten words speak of the name of God as it is spelled, i.e., Yodake Bhakti. Whereas the last five Mitzvot speak of that name as it is read, i.e., as Adonai, the source of Israel. Seeing that these five mitzvot regulate conduct between Jews and Jews, all is one at the very core of things, all leads back to the inevitable name. This is in line with what I have copied from the writings of Nachmanides where he stated that the dual nature of the tablets, i.e. two tablets instead of one, symbolizes heaven and earth, groom and bride. Just like it says at the end of the revelation, this is his formal introduction to his bride. Never forget that. All is based on the mystical dimension of the ineffable name spelled as either Yodake Vavke or Hadunai. Yeah. Oh no, I was just agreeing. Like again, this is this is good to just kind of go back over it because, like I said, when you take it, break it down a little bit, it's more easier to (laughs) to palletize and be able to receive. Yeah. The thing about this whole thing, it speaks about his imminence on Har Sinai. We have Moshe, the yesh, the physicality, the physical act of ascending beyond the physical intellect, raising of the consciousness to the level of prophecy, because it is also said that the whole of Israel, Kol Kahal, Israel, ascended to the level of prophecy. Because when they heard the words of Torah, every soul was resurrected. And that's where we're going back to, by the way. Like, as we get into the Messianic era, we're going to go back to all of Israel being prophets. Mm -hmm. And one thing the Arizal brings down regarding Moshe, that he was entirely on the level of the Sephira of Da'at. Wow. 
which is pretty huge, which means that essentially Moshe rectified the Sephira of Da'at, even though it's incurred. Yeah. Now, what's crazy about this is my Mashpia was bringing down the fact that there's something called, um, what is it? Ham, hamshek Hada'at? Let me go to it real quick. If I could just take a quick little swerve. Uh, let's see where are we at. We're in the week of February the something something. There it is. February the 6th. Okay. So Hasek Hada'at. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but apparently Hasek Hada'at is, uh, let's see, Hasek Hada'at is when your consciousness is disconnected from where it was before, literally translated and usually is as being distracted or not paying attention. But on a deeper level, it points to a disconnection or dismantling of our limited, high personalized individual consciousness, which became a part of the human psyche at the moment of or at the moment Adam and Hava ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil on behalf of whatever lies beneath. In other words, the reintegrating of ourself into the higher understanding and awareness of Hashem apart from our own personal bias or how we've been taught our limit our limiting uh factors if you will so to think Moshe rectifying da'at he would have had to have his own hasek hada'at which is why him being the most humble person in the world being like yeah, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what, what's really cool about this is that that's a part of hastening the arrival of the Mashiach is the more we do that, the more we we burst open through that sphira of Da'at because we can receive it now since we don't have our own, uh, our own interest, I guess, uh, involved, our own ego, if you will. So, yeah, I'm just kind of like, wow, dismantled consciousness. And again, that goes back to those letters and the matrix. Because unless you're unless you're allowing the matrix to have you, you know, like to where you can just have the full expansion of it. Like if you try to look at it and take out these little sections, you'd be lacking. But if you would just allow the whole thing to just flow and then become a part of it. Like, this is why it's called the Torah of Moshe, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the Torah is considered his because he gave himself to it. Yeah. That's so interesting that you brought up that point. I was watching. Uh, um, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, it's a documentary by this guy. He actually lives here in Minnesota. Uh, Patterns of Evidence. Wow. 
the Exodus, but this time he has a new one out. I started watching it and patterns of evidence, the motion, Moses controversy. That's cool. Was the Torah written later? They're, they're asked, some scholars think that um, they're practically going as far as to say that there's no divinity in the Torah at all. The mm -hmm. fact that it's Moshe writing it, and I'm like thinking to myself, <clears throat> this is nothing more than the physical intellect trying to grasp, grasp something entirely mystical. There it entirely is. Entirely allegorical. And the one thing this guy doesn't do that I wish he would do is consult certain rabbis who are whose scholarly level is far and away above any uh, scholar in Western thought. Yeah, but that would dismantle his argument, though. Because at this point, he just opened the door for Moshe to become divinity. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, you look at the Torah, if, if Moshe is... If there's no divinity in the Torah, but yet Moshe wrote it, and it's like divine, it's just kind of like, uh, what are you saying then? <laughs> the thing is, he he quotes a verse at the very beginning, and Moshe wrote down the words of the Lord. Man, see that's the thing. See now, see now, this goes back to the point where Hashem writes down his very essence and he gives it to Kalal Yisrael and was brought down by the hand of Moshe and placed into the Brit Aron in the tabernacle, which the tabernacle in of itself is an edut, a testimony of creation. Wow. They're all interconnected, you know, and I'm, I'm a bit of a scholar myself. I tend to look up entomology of words, you know, where certain phrases come from, you know, how the mindset that people have. But one thing my Vuta, uh, Gabriel Lombroso, has always impressed upon me is that what you predominantly have to deal with is the cultural upbringing of the person that you're in conversation with. And this is why everything was... Egyptian, quote unquote. Yes. The the name of Moses has an Egyptian connection. The name Hashem used, Anoki, has an Egyptian connection. Yeah. Miriam apparently has an Egyptian uh root and from her name. And I learned that from Rabbi Pavanov. May he live and be well. Wow. <laughs> I've been reading him today, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he man okay so anyway just what you're saying there as far as what your roots have shared the culture like another to bolster that point is that the tanakh or the torah was written in jewish in in what in jewish nice nice gotta know the culture in other words, <clears throat> what do I mean when I say that the, that the Tanakh or the Torah was written in Jewish is because the culture sprang up, Zemach, from the giving of the Torah. Every single tradition that you see within Judaism 
stems from the giving of the Torah. Everything that Judaism does, everything about it, all its aspects, all its attributes are in the Torah. Right. This is one reason why that it's... This is why we do a hoopah at the weddings. To remind ourselves, (laughs) as if you're standing at Sinai and you are receiving the Torah for the first time. Oh my gosh. Just like we do on Shavuot. When we stay up all night and it's like, wow. (laughs) The other thing about it is the entire nation was standing there and they could see the sounds. And smell it. Their senses testify to it. Yeah. Remember the tractate Shabbat where it was saying that uh, that Hashem's uh, mouth was like his cheeks were beds of roses and spices. And so as he would utter the words, one scent would come out, one aroma. And then as the next word would go, that aroma and fragrance would leave. And then the next one would show up. And so it's like you're smelling the Havdalah spices when you're hearing Hashem speak the words of Torah. The Mizbeach Keterat in the, in the holy place. Yeah. Man, you know, that, you know, just little golden nuggets like that, you know, just really show you the heights, the breadth, and the depth of the wisdom of the Holy One, blessed be He, and Amen. Yeah. It's like Shaul says in Ephesians, who can know? Who can know? <laughs> Man. Um, but I was reading Pavanov today, too, and one of my favorite um, staffs is from my quote 24, 23B through 24A. Mm-hmm. I read this part. Bring it. It's down to one. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. And the Zadik will live by his faithfulness. Now, that's connected to just as a continuity point. I've mentioned in one of my uh, discussions that it's really what's behind the mitzvot. Because, yes, it's like we do need to do the commandments, but like at a certain point, you got to go beyond that to really what's behind them. And that's really it right there is like living by your emunah, you know, like hearing the voice of Hashem. Like, yes, you know, we we have the 613, we have the 11, we have the all of the different uh, ways that you can kind of... uh, summarize it or encapsulate it but it's really like what's behind all of it so but i love that you mentioned that because i was just i was sharing and i don't like i don't like ever sharing things without sources so yeah i've learned to be very meticulous when it comes to citing a source like if you're citing from a multi-volume source, you know, please give the volume number, you know, the name of the source, the volume number, and the page number, and yeah. if possible, the paragraph where you start reading from. There you go. Like spoken like a true sage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, the video that was sent out about like why we say masekit as opposed to tractate, and then we say like the the beginning phrase of the Mishnah, and then the 
like we break it down subsection wise. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Zadik the Emunato. Nice. But another favorite verse of mine that I always quote is Kol Mitzvoteka Emunah. Right. Yep. In connection with that one. All of your he command. is faithful to every single instruction that he has given. That if you perform the mitzvah, he is faithful to them. <laughs> okay, so if you spin that phrase around, just to kind of look at some of the facets of the diamond. So Kol Mitzvoteka and Munah. So you just said he is faithful to everything, right? That he commands. Mm -hmm. So then also every commandment of Hashem is our faith. You know, so when you're doing a mitzvah, you're expressing your faith. Mm -hmm. You know, so like, again, the I'll show you my faith by my works, those kinds of things. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's just so cool just looking at the, the Hebrew like that. Uh, yeah. Any other part you wanted to uh, mention before ending the recording on the uh, rumination discussion? Uh, let's see here. He was quoting Nachmanides here. Um, on Exodus 19.20, Nachmanides writes as follows. If you take a close look at this chapter, you will understand that God descended on Mount Sinai in his capacity as the ineffable name and resided there in fire. Whenever God is mentioned as speaking with Moshe throughout this chapter, he did so as the attribute Yodke Vavke, i.e., he used the ineffable name as his means of communication. It should also be noted that whenever you see this name, it's in the attribute of Hesed. Because within the 10 words, where do you, you find showing Hesed to the thousandth generation that love me and keep my mitzvah? Yeshua repeats these words, basically. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. And in Devarim, it's I believe it said, and the commandments are your life. Yeah, we actually read that uh, for the uh, RV prayers, where we talk about we'll meditate upon his words day and night, for they're our life and the length of our days. Yeah, Psalm 1. Mm -hmm. And sure. we also mentioned this attribute of Hashem's name in connection with the Corbinot. Like the Corbinot are connected to the this name as opposed to Hashem's name of Elohim. So it's important to note that the Corbinot are an act or connected with Hashem's kindness, in other words. Yeah, in mercy and in loving kindness, he shows how we can approach him once again, because the ultimate purpose of the Mishkan is about the garden. Bringing Which us back. Matan Torah, when we're when Hashem is giving us the Torah on Mount Sinai, 
he's actually bringing us back to the garden, which is why we regained immortality. And there was such a fragrance there. And it yeah. says that the mountain even uh, sprouted uh, like vegetation in, a, in abundance. Like it looked like it was very green. <laughs> so this wasn't like the rocky, craggy mountain that was on fire. It looked like a garden on fire, basically. Yeah. So he goes on here. God elevated Moshe and brought him towards a level of great honor and warned that the people should not overstep their bounds or they would cause themselves grave harm. Exodus 19.21. The warning pertained to efforts to spare. Do you see that about not, not taking Hashem's kindness and getting out of bounds with it? Like you said, I'm I'm kind and all, but but don't get crazy. Like yeah, that's what that just says. Like, watch your bounds. Don't overstep. Don't take advantage of it. Don't misuse it. Don't misrepresent it. That's amazing. See, the warning pertained to efforts to secure visions of God in his capacity as the ineffable name, something that even uh, Etzeli B'nai Israel, the nobility of the children of Israel, mentioned as having a vision of God in Exodus uh, 24, 10, and 11, did not see. However, all of Israel heard the voice of God out of the fire, thus far Nachmanides. God informed the Israelites of the fact that his ineffable name represents his essence. They heard his voice via Hey Kolo. Uh, now I'm thinking Metatron. <laughs> yeah, but this also points to was the commandment of the Mishkan given before the golden calf, during the golden calf, or after? Because you know how we read Parsha um, Truma, and it's like, okay, so now I need you guys to gather up all your stuff to build a tabernacle because you worship the golden calf. And it's like, but when we were doing that, Moshe wasn't here and he was getting the Torah. So, like, how you know we need to build a tabernacle? Because, like, we weren't worshiping the calf yet. Like, that was at the 40th day, but you started giving us the Torah. <laughs> during Shavuot so like what are you talking about that was 40 days ago well then you have the pursuit that says after the pattern shown to you on the mount so now this makes me think about when it says I saw the new Yerushalayim and I saw no temple <laughs> after okay. the pattern Sorry, I won't interrupt anymore. I'm just... <laughs> no, it's quite all right. <laughs> when I see this Hebrew word, uh, hey, Kolo, I think of the hey, Kolo literature written around the 13th century regarding Metatron. Was Moshe yes. Metatron standing at Hashem's side during the giving of the Torah? Was that like third Enoch or something? Like it commonly is called. It's connected to Enoch some kind of way, I thought. Yeah. Well, see, his sanctuary, which is a description of the name Adonai, God's sanctuary or palace. Oh, now I'm thinking Zohar on Breshit. Um, the secret of Elohim is Breshit Barah, 
Elohim, meaning the Zohar. This is so huge because the Zohar challenges our preconception. Because typically when you read Breshit, how do you typically read it? In the beginning. But the Zohar comes with, with beginning, created Elohim. Because Elohim is a palace. Wow. The Zohar is telling us, pointing to something greater than Elohim. Ain't so. The nameless, the formless, the timeless. <clears throat> so it challenges our preconceptions. What we think God is, but he isn't. In other words, the Zohar is telling us you cannot put Ain Sof into a box because he's formless, nameless, and timeless. But you can talk about his palace, <laughs> which is Elohim. Because the secret of Elohim is right. Bara Elohim. Yeah. The palace. Yeah. Um, uh, Abraham Yosef Heschel in his book, The Sabbath, describes it in that in that way. The palace of time. Because yeah. Elohim is associated with time. And there's your Bereshit Shabbat drop. Mm -hmm. Yerah Shabbat. Because in those seven words you have space, time, and physical matter. And within all that you have all the laws that govern the functioning of creation that the blessed ain't self put into place from the very act of Zim Zoom, the, con the constriction or restriction. So now that I mentioned that, that immediately takes us back to Yitziat Mitzrayim because the root for Mitzrayim is Zar, which means restriction. So you could see the word Mitzrayim as from restriction to a place where you could serve Hashem. This, the Torah is explicit on this because it does indicate that Hashem spoke to Moshe and to tell him that I want you to tell Pharaoh that my people go out for three days so that they can serve me and make offerings to me. The first indication that he's going to show Pharaoh who can only see Elohim Hateva, but not the blessed name. So who is in absolute control over every aspect of creation. So now he wants Israel to come out of that place of restriction and not being able to perceive the divine to, to bring offerings to him. So that they could be elevated. 
to bring their animal soul into subjection, into control under the Yetzir Tov. So that they can serve him. But this is the basics of the 10 words. They're, they're like guideposts so that we would know exactly what to do to bring ourselves in line with the divine will of Keter. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 8, the Torah of Adonai is perfect. Tamim is complete. It's whole. It doesn't lack nothing. It has no dependency on anything, but we okay. have dependency on it. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting very deeply mystical here, and it's for a very important reason, is that getting down to the bare, the, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when it comes to Baruch Sheyamar. Because whenever you come to that prayer, get a hold of it and realize that this is the very thing that holds us together. As basically the zenith of his creation. Because we're given free will. It, it may seem that way, that we have free will. But ultimately, every action and thought that we have has consequences, whether for good or ill. Whether they are opposed to the divine will or in line with it but it's all a learning experience you know just like when we do the festivals every year yeah you know, it, it's a rehearsal we want to get it right we want to get as much of it as possible you know because it's our connection to him is it's that time that we spend with him you know um it reminds me when the master said could you not pray with me for an hour You know, that kind of thing. Um, yep. But, no, it's but definitely I, I digress. <laughs> um, let's see. Description of the name Adonai, God's sanctuary and palace. In this case, the fire on Mount Sinai must be perceived of as a shell which protects the listener or viewer from being burned by God's essence. Fire is a good thing. <laughs> uh, the Fantastic Four, Johnny Storm. Flame on. Yeah, fire is your friend. <laughs> Not that he's a pyro or anything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, remember the new Jerusalem is going to re be rebuilt in fire. This name or fire, the H dot, is maintained by performance of the 613 mitzvot on Israel's part. This is we what God alluded to when he was going, don't let the fire go out. Don't quench the spirit, as Shaul says in Corinthians. Zay Shami Vazay Zikri. The Zohar is already pointing out that when you pair the word Shami with half the ineffable name, Yorke, you obtain the number 365, i.e., the number of negative. Mitzvot in the Torah, whereas when you pair the word Zikri 
with the other half of the ineffable name, Vav, A, you obtain the number 248, the number of positive mitzvot in the Torah. In order to emphasize the division, we have outlined further the Torah, Deuteronomy 436, describes the episode of the revelation of Mount, at Mount Sinai in the following words, Min Hashemayim Ha-Shema'eka et Kolo Ve'al Ha'aretz Ha'ra'eka et Shamo from heaven he let you hear, etc. On earth he showed you his fire. Aisho Hagadola, the last two Hebrew words of the phrase uh, for the Harika et Eshmo, or Aisho Hagadola, like his great fire. Uh -huh. I was just saying that's what you read there. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, Eka, you have seen. So this just makes me think about when we look at the Havdalah candle going into the new week and we use the 10 sephirot <laughs> like our 10 fingers because they correspond to the sephirot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Same with uh, Natila Yadayim. True, which is water. We're, we're, we use water on that one, so fire and water. Mm -hmm. um, water yeah, dilutes wine, diluting judgment. Or... Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then, see, this is kind of a paradox with those two is that wine also sweetens judgment. Because we drink wine yep. when uh, sanctifying Shabbat and mm -hmm. Yom Tov and any other holiday that requires the use of wine. Ephraim uh, Pavanov talks about it, that you should, you should be careful not to overindulge. But the thing is, uh, Purim, I read that whole section from what you posted earlier today. Yeah. Uh, you should drink enough where you can't tell the difference. That you're so filled with Simco that okay, it don't matter. Yeah. You know, who's humming, who's am I am I booing or am I boo like yeah. cheering? Am I cheering? Am I, am I booing? Am I like, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, hey, whoa, wait, which one? <laughs> he did what? <laughs> no, I <laughs> side note uh the whole thing that the rabbi pavanov brings down about uh mordecai being the first rabbi oh my gosh so that's in the pure and drop from today huh that yeah chapter bro anyway but this this section of of shanae lukot like when we did the rumination and we were discussing back and forth, like this right here was just like so epic. 
but I like the lifetime go back through and break it down. That's this is great. Yeah, it goes on though. <laughs> yeah, he does quote from Partis Rimunim. Well, I think this part's good to keep right. it concise so that yeah. we can. Yeah, a further breakdown on what I shared yesterday. Um, but yeah, I, <clears throat> I was. Um, I really liked what uh, Pavanel, you know, quoting from uh, my second Mako 24A. That's one of my favorite dafts, to be honest with you, when it comes to the mitzvot. Yes. Stealing them all down. I mean, that's just fantastic. I love it. You know? Yep. I mean, because that just shows you how there it's not this rigid system that you would think it is. It's like it it's a lot more than what you anticipate. Yeah. I mean, it's also how we show Hashem that we love him. Right. I mean, what is Yom Kippur? I love you this much. I love you this much. <laughs> love not the world, not even things that are in the world. For um, The world is only, the world will pass away. The system. Right. It's currently right. passing away. We're living through it. <laughs> Especially with everything that's going on right now. It's getting crazy. Yeah, it's passing away. This is the world passing away. You're seeing the birth pains, you know. You you know, it's like, man, and yeah. the prophets wanted to see this stuff. The, the Avot wanted to see this stuff. And they couldn't. Yep. So blessed are your eyes, for they have seen. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Hashem. Kind of like, you know, seeing um, uh, Devarim 29, I think that's the prophetic chapter in Devarim, you know, where it talks about all the prophetic events that take place from that generation until now. Okay. You know, wow. this is why Devarim is referred to as the king of the prophecy books, because you have everything you need prophetically speaking, in the Torah in the first place. Oh, I think you're mentioning 30. Chapter 30? because yeah. The Shuba chapter? Yeah, and then there's um, Vayikra 26, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I see where you... Okay, yeah. And then um, Yaakov's blessings to his 12 sons. Um, Genesis 49. And Moses' blessings to the 12 tribes. Genesis 30, or I mean, uh, De Deuteronomy. Wow. Deuteronomy 34. And it's no accident that all of Yaakov's blessings are in the 49th chapter of Reishi, the 49th day of the Omen. That's it. That's yeah. it. Okay. Well, if you're ready to stop the recording, I think we're good. Yeah.